God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome back to another episode of Family Discussion. It is great to be with you today. As always, I am Mark Sortega and I am joined by the marvelous Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? Um, I'm good. I guess I'll, you know, I'll take marvelous. Um, I don't know if I'm feeling marvelous, but you know what? I will. I'll receive that and uh, we'll just go with it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, so how have you been? I am sitting here in New York in a uh, under a sheet of ice, oh we have gotten hit by this ice storm uh, that came through not too long ago. I'm curious how you guys are doing down in Virginia. Did you guys dodge it? Uh, we dodged it. We got a lot of rain, um, which okay. thankfully washed a lot of the snow away. Um, although you, you know it's not it's not as pretty without the snow, but you know it's less snow, less hassles. That that's what I'm saying. There you go. I agree with that completely. We uh. I ordinarily would not have been out and about today when it's this kind of ice. The the schools were shut down and everything, but I uh, had a funeral this morning, so I had to get out, get the car all defrosted, de-iced, uh, got over to the funeral, and then uh, I'm about to take an international trip. I actually leave. Uh, I'll be back by the time this, this comes out, but um, I leave tomorrow. And uh, in order to do an international trip, you got to make sure that not only do you have all your vaccination papers in order, but you got to have um, negative COVID tests. So I had to drive around and have a couple COVID tests today and still waiting on those results. So, um, the, you know, it's been is a... That, and is that like just to make sure that you didn't get COVID twice? I mean, why do you have to take more than one COVID test? I'm confused. So I took the, um, I took the PCR because it's the most reliable. But the problem is the odds of me having the results back by the time I have to upload them for the wow. airline are pretty low. Um, still, if I get them in time, I want to be able to use it. But I also have, um, I, I also took a rapid antigen test um, because I'll have the results of that here pretty soon and I'll be able to uh, use that. So, you know, just doing what we got to do in the age of COVID. If you want to do mission work around the world, you got to go through some hoops. So I'm, I'm hoop jumping today (laughs) and I'm, uh, I'm hoop jumping and glad that they got most of the ice taken care of. (laughs) It's been, yeah, it's been thick out there. Um, so Lisa, today we are talking about, uh, something that's a little bit off topic. We're taking a, a little bit of a break from, um, the, the study we've been doing around anthropology, image of God, doctrine of sin, all of that. And we're going to touch on something that's been happening um, pretty publicly over the last couple of years, which is um, 
not so much a movement. I don't know if I would call it a movement. I would. But it's a lot of people. Would you would you call it a movement? I, I, okay. So doctor, I would, but we can get into that in a little bit. Okay. There are there are a lot of people who are going through um, a faith crisis. I'll put it that way, and they are labeling it deconstruction. Although some will use that label and some won't. Um, one of the more um, public deconstructions, actually it wasn't even a deconstruction, this was a full-blown deconversion, um, was when a prominent Christian hip-hop artist, actually a, a gentleman that I went to seminary with, posted a 20-something minute video on Facebook and said you know, that he repudiated the Christian faith outright. At one point in the video, he says, I can hold my Bible and say confidently that I know my Bible more than I've ever known it, and I don't believe a word of it. And uh, it was a really heartbreaking thing to hear, particularly because he was a pioneer in uh, the Christian hip-hop world. The Christian hip-hop isn't what it is today without the hip-hop group that he was a part of in the 90s and early thousands. And so, um, you know, this isn't the first time that somebody I went to seminary with has had this uh, kind of a deconversion. And then there's also this group of people who are using basically the same language of deconstruction to describe a more, um, I don't know about nuanced, but surgical tearing down of um, evangelical structures as they're trying to kind of recapture what is true Christianity. We see this happen every 20 years or so. The emergent church was basically doing the same thing in the early thousands and some um, robust believers in the Lord, others left the faith completely. Um, and, and that's what we're seeing a little bit today in this movement. And so we just want to talk about it. We've, Lisa, you know, I've gone back and forth a little on Twitter about deconstruction and, and kind of some different um, ways to, to think through this and perceive it. And I don't think people are going to be listening and saying, oh, well, Marcos believes A and Lisa believes B, which one is right? Uh, this is, I think, too heavy, too sad of a topic to get into who's right and who's wrong. I think we just want to talk through what are some of the, what are some of the things that we're seeing in the deconstruction movement? Um, what are some positives? What are the dangers that we really got to be careful of? Um, is even deconstruction the right word for what we're trying to describe? So we're going to get into all these questions, but we're going to do so from, I think, a personal place because both of us have been through something similar to what we're seeing happening really in social media is where people are talking about it more. But but I've got it in my church as well, people who are using this language and, and working through things. Um, we've both had major theological paradigm shifts. And I wonder if you could share a little bit about what yours was like. You've talked about it, you know, in parts on the show before, but maybe to, to launch us into the discussion of deconstruction, we can first just tell a little bit of our story and then, uh, and then get into what's, what we've been seeing out there in the world and in our churches. Sure. So, you know, when I came to Christ in 1982, I was a freshman in college and the foundation of the Christian um, faith, uh, you know, how uh, Christianity was articulated and, you know, put together was a mixture. It was a mixture of so the foundation of scripture, but also was kind of twisted with, um, you know, there was um, a lot of word of faith influence, um, 
it was at the time my my influences so my influences were word of faith and also just kind of this very independent minded you know follow the spirit where he leads but it's not really grounded in a you know in a robust uh you know doctrinal grid so um you know as many people know my story uh, after a few years i went into a 13-year rebellious period i came back and back into kind of very similar um uh church circles where it was non-denominational but the foundation of it was a combination of pentecostalism word of faith some charismatic the charismatic portion actually grew more as I, you know, as I continued my walk. Um, and so with that, and particularly with the charismatic paradigm, um, and what I now recognize as the new apostolic reformation movement, where you're, you know, the church is being led by these modern day apostles and prophets, and you're listening to them for what thus saith the Lord. Um, so that even impacts how you're reading your Bible, right? Um, how I read my Bible was very piecemeal. I mean, I never, and, he, and here's one thing that, you know, I, I think I got we have, need to caution people when they say, well, they just don't read the Bible or they just don't know their Bible. Well, there may be a lack of understanding of how the 66 books fit together, but folks are reading their Bible, right? But what's happening is you're not reading it faithfully. You're not reading it holistically. You're not reading it, you know, the Old Testament in relationship to the New Testament or the New Testament in relationship to the Old Testament. So there's this tendency to kind of lift passages out of their historic, you know, especially with the Old Testament to lift passages out of their historical context and make it prescriptive. And particularly when you get to the prophets, and, you know, in as a charismatic, you don't read the prophets as addressing the historical situation of the time. It's, okay, what is the Lord saying now? And it's completely removed from that context. And so, you know, so what I was doing, not only was reading scripture that way, but also taking these extra biblical ideas and imposing them on scripture. And in 2006, I met someone who began to challenge me on how I was reading scripture, like because I was part of the praise and worship team and, you know, and, and the charismatic movement, um, you know, what what God does through these sensory experiences is very important. That's how that's how he moves. God forbid you would be sitting there singing a song and be very Presbyterian. Right. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, we're like, there's a reason there, you know, we're called the frozen chosen. But. <laughs> you know, who's to say what God is doing in the heart of a person? But that was completely mm. off the table because it was how are you physically responding? You know, where is your emotional level? Um, so in 2006, I, you know, I, was I, you know, was talking all of this, you know, this is how God moves. And somebody challenged me. Where do you find that in the scripture? Can you support that mm. biblically? And it yeah. began to disrupt mm -hmm. what what I knew. So it then forced me, you know, and that's where I really beginning to, I began to see 
how I was taking these isolated passages out of context. And I started paying attention to just reading, just reading um, passages in their context. And that started to really change. And I would say disrupt. It was, it was a disruptive process. Um, And I had to confront not only my methodology, but what that produced in my beliefs. And it was hard. I mean, I can understand I my out the outcome of that, which by the way, there was a big thrust at the beginning, but some of the unraveling have I mean went on for years after that. Yeah. Um and I but I, I had to re- I had to I had to confront the unfaithfulness of mm. some of the things that I believe. And I, you know, and from that I I grew a little sensitive to understanding, like, why do, why do people kind of like stay back in their holes? Because it's mm. comfortable. Like, we don't want to go through that kind of disruptive process. But my aim was to get to Jesus. I wanted the true articulation of the faith as best as, 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 best as I could. You know, I would, I would um, you know, get on my knees before the Lord. I was like, I just need to know the truth. I just need to know if what I believed was a lie, if what I believed was twisted, if what I believed was true. I just, that's all I needed to know that. And so it just set me on this journey to, um, to find out what, and fortunately, you know, I had some guidance in terms of, okay, this is how we need to read the Bible, not the way yeah. I was reading it. Um, and, you know, some people might say, look back on that and say, you know, I went through a deconstruction process. I didn't see it that way. I'm, I was trying to, I'm trying to build my faith, right? And I'm trying Mm -hmm. to build it on a Mm -hmm. foundation that was solid, that was right. I mean, the word, of course, nobody was talking about deconstruction then, but the word, that word would have been furthest from my mind in terms of what, Mm. what, what was going on. You know, when I think back to to what I went through, I, I think I'd agree. I, I don't think I would have called it deconstruction at the time, um, and it certainly doesn't match some of what we see in in the deconstruction movement today, which is um, predominantly driven by um, hurts regarding social issues or abuses within the church. Um, what I went through was not so much coming from that place. Um, you know, I grew up in a, uh, I, I grew up in a Baptist church, Baptist churches, uh, conservative Baptist churches, independent Baptist churches, never a Southern Baptist church. I, I don't know why, but, um, the, you missed uh, out. you missed out, man. Apparently I missed out. <laughs> the common denominator was that they were all dispensationalist churches, which is very common where I grew up in the desert. And, and this is, um, in the, in the, in the nineties predominantly that, that I grew up with this kind of a framework. And even when I started attending a, um, what was it? A church of church of God, not church of God in Christ. It was churches of Christ and Christian union, which was this tiny little, um, break off of the Nazarene church and part of the holiness movement. Um, even when I started attending that church, it was still very dispensational. So everything was, was dispensationalism. And, and so I just grew up thinking that was Christianity. I didn't have a clue that, um, dispensationalism was a framework that, that people used to understand the Bible, but that there were many Christians who didn't have that framework. I, I was oblivious to that. 
In fact, I was oblivious to that until college. When in a uh, in a class, now I should say, I went to call a college that was founded by Tim LaHaye, who is the author of um, of many things, but I was introduced to him through the Left Behind series. So I was introduced to Tim LaHaye, not through his political activism of like the 80s, but of his dispensational work. Um, and I don't know that maybe, even as I say that, I don't know that you can necessarily distinguish between the dispensational framework and his political views. But um, I mean, because they, they were related to one another, but um, it was his dispensationalism that really was what, what got me to um, this particular little school. And while I was there, I took a course called Major Bible Doctrines. This was the capstone course for the um, Bible majors there at the school. And um, I took it as a junior, a year ahead, because it just fit my schedule better. And the very first um, doctrine that we looked at was dispensationalism. We didn't look at doctrine of Scripture. We didn't look at doctrine of God. We looked at dispensationalism first. And... In the first lecture, the professor bemoaned the fact that only 13% of Christians still held on to this view. And I about got hit in the face with 100 red flags all at once. Um, I, was, I was like, whoa, whoa hold on. <laughs> hold on a second here. Um, our starting point seems off. We're not starting at, at doctrine of Scripture or doctrine of God. And now you're telling me that 87% of the Christian world rejects this paradigm. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong. But it does mean that the 87% of the world thinks we're wrong. Maybe I should interrogate why. And never was it brought up that we could be misreading, or at least that we are one of many interpretations. It was just, this is the true interpretation of Scripture. And that true interpretation of Scripture carried with it particular social positions. And um, and so, you know, I, I was a little always a little bit of an outsider in that world because I didn't hold to those social positions. But I thought that was just because, well, I'm a little different, and that's okay. Um, but there's nothing wrong with the theology. The theology's right. Until I realized maybe there is something wrong. And so that, that sent me into a good year and a half of um, study, asking questions, pushing back on professors, the, the whole thing that you do in your, in your early 20s. And I was a jerk about it. Uh, and, and I wasn't, like, I didn't do it the right way by any means. But by the time I left that school, I had rejected really the two pillars of that school, which were um, a... Uh, dispensational framework for the scriptures and then a literal six-day creation um and i didn't know what i had embraced i didn't have anything to embrace i had not left jesus the one thing that i believed that the dispensationalists were right about because i could see it from the scriptures clearly without having to put any grit on it was that jesus saves and he saves his people and and he he sent his son to and god sent his son to die our dispensational brothers and sisters are brothers and sisters um and and they're just i i just have profound differences with them now that i didn't have before and you know as we as, as i was unt- disentangling all of this i wasn't really concerned about replacing my theology because I wasn't going to go into the pastorate. I wasn't going to go to seminary or none of that. I was going to go into politics. And so for me, I was like, you know, 
I'm good. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm not sure about all of this theology stuff anymore, and I don't need it. And I just, all right, it's fine. Until the Lord was calling me to ministry, and I realized, well, but I don't have a theology. <laughs> I have no functioning theology right now. And um, enrolled at Westminster Seminary, and that's, a, that's another story of how I ended up there. But enrolled at Westminster, and that first year at Westminster was brutal. It was one of the most painful years I've ever had because I had rejected a particular version of eschatology. What I didn't realize was how pervasive the dispensational system was into every area of theology. I thought it was just an eschatological um, position. And I'm sitting there going, I, I don't know that I have the, the right definition for the word gospel. I don't think I have the right definition for the word church. And that really sent me for a loop. And... Um, so I, I had to allow my time at Westminster to completely, and I'll just use the word now, it's a bit anachronistic, but to completely deconstruct where I was, but then to reconstruct a theology that I, that I do believe is a biblical theology that, that arises naturally out of the text. And, and that was key for me during my few years at Westminster, was to, to finally get to a point where the dispensational framework was no longer active in any of my um, theological understandings. But it's that, le- it's that first year at Westminster that makes me very sensitive to the concerns of people who are deconstructing now. Because I, I've gone through a similar process more recently with the evangelical world as a whole. Um, and I, I have seen... The deeper I go into Presbyterianism, I'll put it this way, the deeper I press into my Presbyterianness, the more time I spend with the global church, and the more seriously I take my confessions and catechisms, the less interested I am in evangelicalism. And um, so there's a part of me that sees folks who are deconstructing from evangelicalism, and I just kind of go... Yeah, I, I get it. I, I get it. I, I'm not coming from the same place. I, I've been hurt by the church. I think we've all been hurt by the church. But, but I haven't, I'm not coming at it from the, the horrifying crucible of, of sexual abuse. Uh, I'm not, I, I have not experienced the levels of racism that many have experienced in, in the evangelical church. Like, that's just not where I'm coming from. Um, but as I listen to people share their pain and their frustration with the um, major evangelical institutions in the evangelical world, I get it, and and I'm sensitive to it. I'm concerned about it, too, and, and we can get into that, but uh, my I think just my own experience of having gone through something similar makes me more open, maybe, than, than, uh, than not open. Yeah, and, and, you know, and I should probably add, I went through a similar um process with this sensationalism while I was at DTS by the way who, who, <laughs> which is the bastion of dispensationalism but it is when that. you start you know when you start seeing holes and those holes start raising questions and yeah. that in in your attempt to answer those questions your your desire to get those questions answered leads to more holes 
And then you have more questions. And again, you know, here we go again with this disruptive process. And I would say, you know, just based on my story and your story, because I can look at, you know, when I was wrestling with some of the things that I believed, some of that needed to be destroyed, right? Uh, it needed to be replaced. And I think that you bring up a good point, you know, de deconstructing without replacement, that's, you know, that leaves one very vulnerable to, you know, heterodox or, you know, just false beliefs. So you're basically trading, you know, one set of false beliefs for, you know, potentially another. That's not a good place to be. And I was very fortunate that in my process, I was landing in a more solid place. It was being replaced by a whole more a more holistic understanding of scripture by the you know what has been passed down what the church has believed um you know for all time and so it was being replied was landing in a more solid place um but i would say listening to your story and thinking about mine are except for the evangelical part which i guess we'll get to in a minute but it was purely driven by theological concerns right, right. it wasn't right. you know there 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 wasn't a a sociological or experiential mm -hmm. basis for going through that process we're having questions about what is the true faith and i i think that's different than what i see driving the deconstruction movement and i will call it a movement what's driving that now which yeah. is more sociological concerns and you know the more um um you know personal aspects of you know the inconsistencies um you bring up you know what's going on with abuse scandals and all of that. And, you know, we can look at, you know, political politicization. Okay, I need to get hooked on phonics. But you know what I mean? This, <laughs> you know, the, yeah. this cultural captivity of Christianity. Mm. Mm. I listen, I am all for the pure faith. I think you're right. You hit you hit on a, on you said something in the telling of your story about a Christianity that is, you know, not, not part of a, I, I can't remember how you, how you framed it, but, um, you know, I have a good friend who classifies Christianity as other cultural, like we call it countercultural, it's mm -hmm. other cultural, right? Jesus said, yeah. my kingdom is not of this world. And yes. so he's, we, we have a whole different paradigm for operating. Now we have to operate in this world, but we do so from the lens of this, otherworldly kingdom. Um, and so my concern with what is going on now is, you know, I have to question like, well, what's driving the deconstruction? Because if you're seeing discrepancies between, you know, how the Christian faith is articulated versus, you know, versus, you know, how has it been articulated throughout the ages? You know, that's one thing. But if it's, well, the church has been captured, the expression of Christianity is because of this cultural expression. What I'm concerned about is that we're allowing cultural forces 
to drive the deconstruction and in which case you're really just replacing one form of cultural captivity for another. I think that's a very fair concern. Um, I, I think what, one of the things that makes it difficult for me to pin this down as a movement, though I, I think it is, I think you're right. I just, uh, I think that a lot of people are going through deconstruction for very different reasons. I, I don't think that there is a unifying um, principle that has catalyzed this. Um, I, I think that a lot of people are really hurt and that's driving them to ask a lot of questions. And, and I think there's an overall sense of the word that comes to mind, an overall sense of betrayal that many believers feel at the hands of evangelicalism. And, um, it is a betrayal that I think, I think the questions began in earnest 2014, 2015, 2016 the lead up to the election of President Trump. But I, I haven't, I didn't see this then. What I'm seeing now for me is less political, less about a, a social movement, though there's part people who are driven by that. And more a sense of betrayal by the Christian leaders that we were told we were supposed to look up to. Um, this is happening largely, for example, in even for clarity, in evangelical spaces. The more confessional you get, and the higher church you get, the less prone you are to go through this. At least in this iteration of of deconstruction, you're not hearing about a bunch of Anglicans deconstructing right now. Um, they, they they got some challenges, sure, but you don't see this kind of en masse movement of people who are really angsty and, and asking some important questions. That seems to come from a lot more Baptist circles and some Presbyterian circles that feel much more low church, um, maybe aren't as um, confessionally grounded or as ecclesiastically uh, robust. And... And so in that system, so I, I grew up in that system and we didn't have a confession or catechisms as I grew up in, in the Baptist church and in dispensationalism. We had a handful of men who were right. They were right. And you listened to them. You listened to Henry Morris because he was right on creation. You listened to Tim LaHaye because he was right. You listened to John MacArthur. You listened to... Um, uh, the, the guy who is the pastor, um, uh, D David Jeremiah, you, you listen to these men cause they are right. And I think a lot of the men and, and people we were told to trust, we feel let down by, um, and they're the ones who are in the headlines. They're, they're the ones who made the news. I mean, it's, I remember when Bill Hybels fell. Um, I wasn't really impacted by Bill Hybels all that much, but my senior pastor was. He was like, this was the guy we were all told to believe. He said, you know, integrity is who you are behind closed doors. That was what Bill Hybels said all the time. And look at who he was behind closed doors. Um, you know, it, it's this sense of betrayal that um, the people we were supposed to trust because they were right turned out to have some profound moral failings, not like, not like they made a mistake, but in some cases were even predators. 
who were using their position to prey on the sheep. And I think a lot of people are, are, are looking at this and saying, this is my culture, this is my tradition, I don't know what to do with this, but this isn't godly, and I'm out. And, and, and so I understand the emotional impetus behind a lot of the deconstruction that's there. And, and I don't think that's all of them, because again, it's hard to pin down what's driving the movement. I think that's a large part of it, though. And it's hard for me to fault that. I'm concerned, I'm worried about where um, some of these brothers and sisters will end up because they don't seem to be diving deeper into the scriptures or into the catechisms and confessions of the church. Um, I'm not sure where they're heading, and that's part of the, the question mark around this. But I, I, if they're driven by a disillusionment and betrayal with the establishment of evangelicalism, I tend to be somewhat, um, at least my heart is willing to go there and say, yeah, I get it. And, and I, I, I'm not against that as much as, as if it's driven purely by politics, then you have a whole other question, but I'm not so sure that it is. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and that's fair. I think in, you know, if your ecclesiastical structure is, you know, is built on a, on a, on a foundation, that's not in accord with scripture. And I think that we do have a history, particularly in American evangelicalism. Um, I think we do have a, a history of building, you know, Corinthian style platforms, right? If we look yeah. at what Paul's charge was yeah. against the church at Corinth, it's, you know, how, how are we defining success? What kind of mm -hmm. programming, if you will, what kind of church leadership structure does the church need to arrive at that success? Well, if your criteria is defined by these worldly standards and not by scriptural standards, well, yeah, you're going to yeah. get you're going to get what we got that. I mean, that's just yeah, that's just the real of it. But at the same, so I can't, on one hand, I, you're right, I do want to be sensitive, particularly for people who have relied on these kind of structures, right? Where there hasn't, right. you know, where it has been kind of, you know, not a great foundation. And um, been taught no that these are the biblical structures. Like, that's the thing. Like, a lot of us were taught these are the biblical structures that, you know, that yeah. the, the higher church mm -hmm. is actually not what the apostles had envisioned. And so the argument was... You do want these low church structures, and and that's the right way to go. And so we relied on it. We trusted it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so that leads me to, so one of my, another one of my concerns is, I, is you know, what kind of process is I've tried to process, you know, what's going on with this, um, you know, with deconstruction. I think you're right that people mean different things by it. So what we've seen, what well, here's what we've seen. We've seen those who said, I've deconstructed, and that ends up in deconversion. Right. Or, you know, I'm, you know I, I'm going through a deconstruction process, but that means a, a rigorous examination of where the, you know, where the church, where my faith has been captured by you know, mm -hmm. these other factors. I think that's a, I think that's a healthy examination as long as, as long as 
we are letting the right thing drive it um, right. and not the broader cultural voice. So one of my concerns is that, okay, so deconstruction is that process which you know, undermines and in some cases even removes the foundation that you need to land on. And a deconstruction is also wanting to preserve the foundation, but going through re-examination, we, should we be calling those two processes the same thing? I think that's a very fair point. And, and it's why I, I really appreciated um, an article that was written by the Bidian Abuile over at the front porch, oh, I don't know, a few weeks ago now. Um, let me see what the date was on this. January 19th. So yeah, it's been a little while. And um, the title of it is This Present Apostasy. And, and recapturing the word apostasy might be helpful here. Um, it's helpful. It's been helpful for me to be able to distinguish between, okay, there's those who are going through kind of a, a deconstruction process. They're not abandoning the faith. They're, they're asking a lot of really hard questions. They may have doubts, real struggles. They're, they're not sure. They're having a crisis of trust because they're not sure who to trust anymore, but they're trying really hard to hold on to Jesus. Um, that seems different than this other group who is also using the word deconstruction, but they're, they're throwing out Jesus completely. They're just saying, I'm, I'm done with all of it. Well, that's apostasy. That's a, that is a falling away from the faith. And um, that's, that's a helpful paradigm for me. Pastorally, what I want to do is I want to welcome in those people who are, however they're understanding deconstruction. I want to welcome them into a lot of conversation I want to regularly return them to the scriptures. Say, that's a great question. Is this structure biblical? Is this response biblical? Is this social position biblical? Let's ask them all by going back to the text and leaning them into, let's study the word together and let's, let's ground ourselves in confession and in catechism together and, and see if that actually answers more questions for you than you know, frankly, just Googling a bunch of stuff or ending up on a social media whirlpool. Um, I, I really want to take people back into the text and, and back into the ecclesial life of the church uh, historically that is preserved in catechisms and confessions. And, and my concern is that some of the strong pushback against deconstruction will end up leading to more apostasy because they'll believe that their questions are somehow unacceptable in the church. And they'll say, well, then if I can't even question this, then I certainly can't question that. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing. We have to balance this. How do we, how do we love people well who are doing this? And, and pastorally, because I, I do, I have people in my congregation who are really wrestling with some of these things. I want to do it with them. I, I don't want to just see them kind of go out into the world on their own, try and figure it out because it's best done in community with one another and with the Holy Spirit who binds us together and, and opens our eyes and ears to the word. Like, that's what I want. And um, that, that's a, a concern of mine is that one, we're pushing people away and two, that people who are going through the deconstruction process won't listen to their pastors because they don't trust the big names. They've stopped trusting 
the little name in their local church and won't go to their pastors for help through these things. And I'm really concerned at, I'm concerned by people not having a church where they can wrestle with this openly and, and not receive, you know, judgment or, or too harsh pushback. And the one thing, you know, the one thing I think you're really pointing to and highlighting is the importance of the local church. Um, you know, as long as we are getting it, particularly for those who are, you know, feel like they need to or are going through a deconstruction process, um, you're right, getting caught up in the social media whirlwind can be disastrous. Um, and so I think that really puts the onus back on, hey, what are we doing in our local churches? And really, um, you know, really strengthening that structure in accordance with scripture, not in accordance to how we want to see things work out from a different standpoint. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. Because I think you, you're right. You do have to foster that trust. But at the same time, you know, I know that this gets into conversations about, you know, is one is one truly converted, right? Because he who endures to the end will be saved. And we know that yeah. when, you know, when we're regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we're made new creations, you know, we're, we're given a new disposition. And so sometimes, and I think, you know, we have to be careful with, you know, to, to discern and distinguish between a genuine believer wrestling with faith, having questions, being confronted with inconsistencies versus someone who really has just been going along for the ride and now they're wanting to poke holes through everything in Christianity, you know, because there are those people in the church as well. And, and that takes Certainly. a lot of wisdom. It takes listening. It takes discernment. It takes prayer, um, you know, to make that distinction, because there's no amount think... of, you know, there's no amount of quote unquote safe space you can give yeah. to a person who's not really a believer. I uh, completely agree, and and I think what um, what you just said at the end there resonates deeply. It's listening and discernment. You, you can't discern when when somebody is wrestling with these things. You can't discern if this is a brother or sister who's really, truly just trying to be as faithful as they can, and are therefore rejecting a lot of things that they've held before in a quest for faithfulness. Or if this is somebody who's just abandoning the faith and um, you know, in apostasy, you can't tell the difference if you don't sit down and have those conversations and do a lot of listening. And it's it's why, kind of from the pulpit diatribes about deconstructionism are really unhelpful, in my opinion. I think we can use the pulpit to invite people near. That that's that's what the pulpit is. It's come and hear who Jesus is. It's a the pulpit is invitational and you can very carefully um, try and identify wolves within the congregation. But I'm not sure the pulpit is the place to go wolf hunting. Um, it's the place to invite people to come and, and, you know, especially with our sacramental theology, come and, and taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, and so, you know, 
one of the things we're going to do in our church, and this is just for other pastors and leaders in the church who, who may be listening and trying to think through how do I do this well in my own context. Um, what we're doing is we're, we're quietly putting together um, a time for a few of us to get together. Me and one other pastor are going to be there, and we're just going to listen. Tell us, what you, tell us why you're hurting. Tell us where your frustrations are. Tell us what you're seeing. Tell us what you've experienced that is leading you to some of these doubts and some of these frustrations. And we're probably not initially going to be giving a lot of answers. We just want to hear because people, I think, a lot of times just want to be able to express themselves. And we want to give them space to be able to do so. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And through that time, we may identify, you know what, this person's really, they're not interested in holding on to Jesus. They're interested in taking as many people down with them as they can. You, you do have those folks. I don't think that's the majority, though. And, and I want to, um, I think that we pastors need to be creating space for people to be able to have these conversations with us even if that's going to mean we have to hear hard things about us. Because um, in the end, it's not about us. It's about Jesus and his and His flock. So um, that's one way to approach it. I just think we want to be thinking pastorally more than polemically. And of course, we've approached this polemically um, on social media, and, and I just don't know how fruitful that is. Okay. Well, you know, and I have definitely have had some... Uh, express some strong opinions, <laughs> of, you know, of that and certainly don't want to, you know, I don't want to create a stumbling block. Um, but at the same time, again, I'm just, you know, I'm just concerned about, you know, well, what's really driving all of the, you know, because we've just seen this, you know, rapid increase, this rise of, yeah. you know, the, the deconstruction conversation. And I have to question well, what's driving it, you know, um, because it is it is a true faith that we're aiming for. And that's why I'm, you know, I still advocate for, let's call it something different. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And, you know, the term has a lot of baggage um, and, and can mean so many different things that I think what we want to do as as leaders in our churches, lay leaders as well as pastors, Create those spaces to be able to listen to one another, have conversations, hear where people are coming from. Because I think nine times out of ten, you'll find somebody feels really hurt and really betrayed, and they just need somewhere to go with that pain. And if they don't have somewhere to go with that pain in their local church, they will go to social media with it. And, you know, people, I'm not against people using social media, I just... It's not the place that God has designed for us to, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So, mm. um, you know, I, I think we're going to see more people apostatize. It's, it's coming. There's, there are going to be more scandals. More big-name Christians should become an oxymoron, I would think. But more big-name Christians are going to fall. And um, our people are going to be hurt. They're going to be hurt. And we have to be um, we have to be safe for our brothers and sisters to be able to come alongside them when they're hurting, and uh, you know that's that's where my heart's at on this. I just I'm I'm hurting for the sheep, and uh, I wanna I wanna help them best we can. And and I think social media right now has just it's it's getting people caught up in it. People are getting caught up in deconstruction. People who maybe never even had these questions are spending a lot of time on social media and they're getting caught up in it and they're, they're getting emotionally hijacked. And, you know, it's 
it's not easy. But um, Lisa, as we as we close out today, I wonder if do you have any last words uh, on this subject? Any kind of final thoughts you wanted to make sure you got out there before we say goodbye? Go after Jesus. You know, hmm. that's the whole goal in our Christian faith. You know, it's you know who. What has God done through his son and for what purpose, right? And let scripture inform that, not the voices of the outside world, not the voices screaming on social media. Um, you know, what we want, and you know, I have, I just have the picture of the woman uh, with the issue of blood. You know, if I could just touch his garment. Of course, you know, we want to, you know, think about that metaphorically to go after the hem of his garment hmm. you know hmm. let him be the center let him be the one that drives read through the book of hebrews right um yeah you know l let that be the drive of whatever quest we think we have for deconstruction amen Amen. Well, thank you, Lisa, for this conversation. I hope this has been encouraging to people who are listening. Um, we'd love to hear back from you. Hit us up on Twitter if you have any thoughts. And um, we'll be back next week. We're going to get back to the Image of God conversation next time. Um, but we wanted to take a moment, talk about this. It's, it's been heavy on my heart, I know. And, and Lisa and I, we've talked about this um, uh, offline. And we wanted to, to share some thoughts with you. So I hope it's been encouraging. Until next time, thanks for listening here at Family Discussion. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.